We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now or binge the entire season to learn more about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! What's up and welcome to another Buzz Beat. On the last episode, we finished our report card series and gave out grades to six Hornets players, including PJ Washington and the, and the Martin brothers. First off, let's check in with our co-hosts, Brian and Spencer. How's everything going with you guys? Uh, Spencer, I know you went to the beach recently. I did. I was there last week. It was nice to get away and Bald Head Island specifically. Uh, great place. You can only have golf carts there. You can't drive cars, which makes it feel even more secluded and like vacation. So uh, it was much needed to be sure. So it was, it was nice. It yeah. was nice. And we've got basketball and baseball uh, here, here pretty soon guys. So that's exciting too. Sports are almost back. Yeah. I'm hanging in. I'm, I'm jealous of you guys going to the beach, especially uh, Spencer Baldhead is, is one of my favorite places on, on planet earth. And uh, I used to make a pilgrimage there every summer with some buddies, but it's been a few, it's been a few years now since we got down there I don't know when I'm going to have a uh, vacation. Honestly, I'm using my first two days of vacation just to watch the start of the NBA season. Um, Cause I don't know when else I'll, I'll really have the chance to, to burn them. So um, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm glad basketball is uh, coming back and everything with the bubble knock on wood. Um, you know, hopefully nothing changes between that when we're, when we're recording this now and when it airs, but so far so good as far as the, the safety protocols inside the bubble. Yep. All right. So on today's episode, we're going to get into some questions and answers from our listeners. Uh, we put out a post on Reddit about a week ago, uh, fielding questions about this team. Uh, so we're going to just jump right in. And we actually did get one Twitter question, uh, which we will actually start off with, but then we'll get to the rest, uh, which are from Reddit. So the first question comes from at Nation Hornets. If the Hornets find an upgrade at center via draft or free agency and continue to develop the young players on the roster, do you guys think it's possible this team could end up competing for the playoffs next year? So I think we should first maybe talk about maybe some of the options at center that we could see in the draft or free agency. And then will that player get us over the hump and push us into that kind of playoff talk? Uh, I think the most obvious options in the draft this year at center, I guess, would be James Wiseman or uh, Nyika Nkongwu. I think Wiseman, obviously, he's going to come in and, and we've talked about him before and be, be that lob threat, that rim runner almost immediately on the NBA level. He's got all the physical tools and the size that you would want out of an NBA player. But then again, uh, there's a lot of concerns about him uh, with his motor and just his want-to factor. I know that he was on my top 10 board, but you guys did not have him there probably for a variety of reasons. 
And then Okongwu, on the other hand, is kind of like the, the direct opposite. He's, he's got the motor. He'll fight for loose balls, offensive rebounds. Uh, he's got good touch in the post. But unlike Wiseman, he doesn't necessarily have that size that you would want at a center. So those two players, I, I think if Hornets draft either of those guys, I'm not sure that either of those guys will come in right away and kind of get this team over the hump and launch them into that that discussion for that you know six seven eight seed or be in that conversation next season. Uh, in terms of free agents, guys, we talked about this before. I'm not sure the Hornets are going to be the biggest players. Uh, they're not going to go out there and try to make a splash. But if they do, maybe they can try to sign. I don't know Christian Wood if if you consider that a splash, but I, I feel like he might go get overpaid by somebody. So to answer the question, I, I would say no, regardless if it's a free agent or or somebody in the draft at center. I still think the Hornets are a couple years away. Yeah, and you also have to think too, like who in the East is even falling out, right? Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with with Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards, but even then, they're ninth. Brooklyn's going to be better next season. Uh, with with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, Orlando should get better as you know. Uh, Okiki gets healthy. Isaac Jonathan Isaac gets better. Perhaps Marco Fultz continues to get better. They just seem like a team that's sort of maybe not like on the rise, rise, but is is young and improving. And honestly, like you got to remember too, the Hornets they outperformed their point differential by by plus four wins this season, uh, according to Declining the Glass. That was third most in the NBA. And they probably had, as good as they were in the clutch minutes of the season, probably had some luck that went their way as well, To They shot 43% on threes in clutch minutes, which was number one in the NBA. I just like, I think you can expect some sort of like natural regression, even if the roster maybe does add some nice young pieces or spend some money in, in free agency this summer if they, if they decide to go that path. I just don't see a real ladder to the playoffs, and I don't think they should be um hunting that option out they need they need top pick they need picks they need high-end lottery picks as much as they can possibly possibly get i guess anything's possible in the east i just don't quite see it happening um as far as the draft goes i love a kongwu if he was there at eight draft him like thank your lucky stars he's there eight for me is too way too early for Wiseman. um as far as like the second round picks and stuff go man it really does seem like Xavier Tillman is going to return to Michigan state for his senior season. That sort of came out last week. He was a guy that uh, may have been at the top of my sort of like second round big board for the Hornets, maybe to take at 32. I think he's a guy that would have graded out as a top 20 to 25 prospect, but for some reason, it seems like he's going to, he is going to return to perhaps Michigan state for his senior season. And, and even then Tillman's maybe more of a four and a half than a five, but just like an excellent excellent uh, defensive front court player that can really pass and play make. And you could have done some really cool things and eventually he'll become a good NBA player and a guy that can play leverage minutes, I believe in the NBA, but um, yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to be available there. Um, I also like, as far as like other big guys for early in the second round, I like Paul Reed out of DePaul and Jalen Smith from Maryland, but I'm not sure if they're moving uh, the needle enough in, in, in sort of like, you know, the playoff direction. Yeah, I, I don't think um, there's not that there's not a path to Charlotte getting to the playoffs next year, um, but I think it's highly unlikely. You never know in the East. But to Brian's point, I mean, who's who's falling out? Orlando and Brooklyn certainly seem to be on upward trajectories here. Um, you know, in terms of free agency, I think there are certainly some interesting names for the Hornets uh, at the center position. I mean, you know, Richie brought up Christian Wood. I, I tend to love his fit in Charlotte. Although I, I, I also agree that he's probably going to get overpaid. We'll see with this market, which I mean, this whole market this summer where the cap's going to land. I mean, it's an anomalous situation, so it's very hard to predict. Uh, Montrez Harrell, another guy, the Clippers uh, coming off the bench, you know, has one of the best two man synergies in the league with Lou Williams. I think he's interesting for Charlotte. And then Jakob Pertl is another name that you've heard. I think he's a very underrated center. Um, you know, it's been in San Antonio. They, it certainly could help uh, Charlotte, and I think James Borrego probably has a really good scout on him and, and some background uh, with him. So free agency-wise, that's what I'd look at. I wouldn't rule out the Hornets paying a center for agency, but not to the price tag that I think a guy like Harrell or Wood will come at, which is which is maybe why I'm leaning a little bit more, excuse me, towards Pirtle being a, a more realistic option. 
you know, Richie and Brian both talked about Okongwu, great option in the draft. You know, Wiseman, I just think he's a stay away. You know, if you get to, you know, late first round or, or late mid first round or something like that, he's still on the board, sure, take a swing. But uh, Okongwu would, would help any team, I think, right away, not climb into the playoffs, but would certainly help. Um, so, yeah, playoffs are very unlikely, but um, it's nice to see Charlotte has a lot of different options and avenues that they can take to uh, to build the team this summer. But the draft is certainly most important. Yeah, and Christian Wood was obviously on this team prior. He was on, the, I think, 2016-17 team. and But last year in Detroit, he showed some promising things from both behind the arc and at the rim. Shot 79% at the rim and 37% from deep. Let me ask this follow-up question to each of you guys, just real quick. Because you, you guys are not high on Wiseman. Would you rather draft Wiseman at 8 or overpay for someone like Montrez? I would rather draft Wiseman at eight, probably. I'd rather have that rookie contract. Montrez Harrell has some, uh, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. Um, some very limited upside, though, with, with his defensive struggles. I'm right there with Spencer. I'd rather draft Wiseman. I mean, like, seems like still a median expectation for him is a starting center in the NBA. Whether we'll see if he's a guy that can actually uh, defend in, in leverage situations and stuff like that, and really how if any, his offensive game is able to blossom. But, yeah, I'd rather have that, the cheapo rookie contract, the slight possibility that that he really does turn into a star somehow, um, as opposed to saddling up for, you know, what, $18, 20000000 million a year of, of Montrezl Harrell. He's a great player and an awesome bench score, could win sixth man of the year. But, no, I think I would take, for, what, for where the Hornets are in rebuild mode, I would rather have uh, the young Wiseman versus the, the sort of like win now stud in, yeah. in Harrell. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of it like this way. At least like you get Wiseman on a rookie deal, at least until the league completely writes him off. You have a positive asset, you would imagine, through three quarters of that contract, right? Where Harrell, you get him in between 15 and $20 million. He has to play so freaking good to even be a neutral asset. So it's just like a, a, a quick vacuum equation there. Yeah, I, I figured you guys wouldn't want either option, but I, I just was <laughs> throwing it out there. So the first question from Reddit comes from the new Reddit guy, 99. Who is the player the Hornets are looking to snag from this from the first round of the draft this year? I don't know if he's asking who is the player that we are wanting the Hornets to snag or who are the player that the Hornets are looking to snag. I don't think we have that, that intel. So I'm just going to pose it like, if you were in the Hornets' shoes, who would you want to snag in the first round uh, of this year's draft? And I'm also guessing that this question assumes that we're staying at eight. So clearly, if we somehow get lucky in the lottery and get a top four pick, uh, this question changes a little bit. So let's just say if we stay at eight, what is your preference to uh, the player that you would like to draft? And I'm going to go ahead and say... I'm kind of on the Devin Fassell bandwagon at number eight. Uh, when Brian first mentioned him uh, earlier in this process, we actually had a podcast back in, I don't know, March or April on him. He's kind of always been in the back of my mind. And ever since then, he's kind of grown on me a little bit, a little bit every day, every day uh, since that pod came out. And as far as realistic options go, he, he's really the one for me in terms of the one at eight. I kind of still question his off the dribble stuff, even though he improved uh, this past this past year. He's a really good shooter. Uh, he's really good on the defensive side of the court. He's going to be a factor right away on that end. Um, he's just everywhere on, on that side of the court. So I think some may argue that's a conventional pick, like we had that conversation before with PJ Washington. But I do think there's a chance that he could become something a little bit more with that. With a he kind of has that sneaky upside to me if he continues to kind of put everything together and kind of all around game on the offensive side. So who is your preference, Spencer, at number eight, uh, if you were drafting there for the Hornets? So I kind of have like a big three, I think, at eight uh, for pretending that's where, where the Hornets would pick. So my big three is Denny Advia, uh, Killian Hayes, and Isaac Okoro. I think all those guys are just phenomenal fits on this roster. Okoro, probably uh, the redhead to step out of those three in terms of fit, but I think it accelerates the Miles Bridges um, question mark, mm -hmm. which I think I think this team is. I'm, I'm sure they are. I mean, the league's confused about him. Certainly, I'm, I'm sure Charlotte's confused about what he is as a prospect and how he fits in moving forward, even with PJ Washington. So, you know, I, I, those are the three guys that I'm really circling. Okongwu, I would love. Again, we've already mentioned him. I would love him. I, I just, I would rather not see a top ten pick uh, spent on a 
on a player that's likely going to play center long term. And Okongwu could play power forward. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I would rather spend it on a wing or a guard. I think my favorite here is probably Killian Hayes. I mean, I, I think that he fits just perfectly next to Devontae Graham. Um, he can play on the ball, gets Devontae off the ball. He's 6'5", so he can guard twos, so Devontae can guard ones. Um, you know, the Terry Rozier question in the fifth there is, a, is another one, but I think you can kind of put that one on the shelf and not worry about it too much. With two years left on that deal, no big no big problem. So I think if the Hornets somehow ended up with Killian Hayes, that would be the, uh, uh, the wet dream for the lack of better uh, analogies here. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I mean, this is sort of like the annual tradition, right? Because when the Hornets, if let's get it, let's say they're drafting eight, there's just so many variables, right? Like you got seven teams moving in front of them. I'm sure, you know, most, if not all of those teams would also like to move back. There's no sort of like clear cut uh, number one guy. I mean, you know, maybe LaMelo in the eyes of some, maybe Killian Hayes or Okongwu or Anthony Edwards in the eyes of others, but just like the boundaries of tier one, as far as like the draft prospects are, are, are blurry. There have also been no workouts, right? I mean, like this is what the last, I mean, the draft would have happened uh, a month ago at this point, but you know, the, the two and a half months before that, we would have been able to sort of like get a sense of uh, who's, who's come to Charlotte a couple of times and you know, who are they, who, what, what quotes coming out of Charlotte seem to be indicating Okoro or Vassell or whatever. And there's just, there isn't any of that. Like Spencer said, eight's too high for me at center unless it's a Kongwu. Um, I would be very happy with him. He just offers so much more outside of the traditional discrete set of skills that we've sort of become accustomed to with like a modern center, you know, your rim runner, your lob threat, the James Wiseman sort of uh, frame. Um, and I think a Kongwu has more upside than that. Could maybe be the best player in this draft. So he was at eight. Go for it. Um, to Spencer's point, I've watched the last couple of weeks, I've watched probably seven or eight Killian Hayes uh, games full length. He's freaking awesome. And it like really reaffirmed my status with him as sort of like the one B to my, to the Mellows one A in this draft. Excellent, excellent team defender, great length. Um, I mean, really can struggle with that right hand, uh, really can't drive it at all. And so because of that, he's got to try to flip screens and get back to his left and, um, or a lot of times he'll just kill his dribble and get himself to some trouble. Occasionally he can go to the little step back going that way too. And he can really create space with a step back, but man, driving to his left, he can really pass. He can get downhill and finish at the rim is off the dribble. Shooting numbers are terrific numbers at the rim. Terrific. I love Killian Hayes. And so I'll frame it like this. If Vassell or Denny fall, take them. And I feel like those are sort of like the mix of guys that are most likely to potentially be there. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I could see one of those guys being at eight. And so those are sort of like my tier one sensible picks. I couch all of that by saying if Hayes, Edwards, or Kongwu fall, draft them. And if none of these guys are available, like let's say Vassell, Avia, Hayes, Edwards, Okongwu are gone, that's when I look at Isaac Okoro or uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. And I'm still not out on Alex Pukasevsky too, as well <laughs> as a guy. So I, I know those are a lot of a lot of names, but Vassell, best team defender in this draft, a little bit better than Tyler Bay, in my opinion. He's got an excellent jump shot. He can shoot off the dribble and going back and rewatching stuff of him the last month or so more passing flashes than, than I remembered. I he's skinny and, and that's his concern. And I get the primary creation concerns as well too. They're, they're not going to write those off, but I'm like, um, I don't know. I'm like a little less concerned about that than, than even I was maybe four or six weeks ago. And, and I know I've been, sort of like driving uh, uh, the Vassell train uh, for, for a while. But no, I really like Devin, and I think he's a great player. So I would say Vassell or Avia, um, unless one of those like tier one guys somehow falls to eight. All right, sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment, The Ice is Right. Floyd talks about all of his jewelry, 
and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, next question from Murpageddon on Reddit. Trade proposal, Ben Simmons for Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, PJ Washington, and Picks. Discuss why you would do that or why you wouldn't do that from the Hornets' perspective. So this trade works financially uh, with Simmons signing that extension. Uh, he's going to make $29 million next season. So when you look at this trade, you got to kind of balance the salaries here. So Rozier is kind of used to kind of match the salaries, and you throw in our, really our two best young pieces with PJ and Graham, and then it says picks, and I would assume that these include first-round picks or, or a combination of first and second. And as weird as this sounds, and as much as I like Simmons, I'm not sure the Hornets would do this. I, I really don't, and I don't, I, don't, I don't think the Sixers would either. So it's kind of one of those things where both teams would kind of shoot this idea down. Uh, here's why from the Hornets' perspective, and maybe I'm crazy. The two best young players that produced last season on a consistent basis for the Hornets were Graham and Washington. So now they're off the team and going to Philadelphia. You could make the case that Simmons fits the timeline of the Hornets because he's just, what, 24, 25 years old. But what does your timeline now look like with PJ and Devontae and and picks uh, in this upcoming uh, draft or two. Uh, and I'm assuming again, like I said, first rounders to Philadelphia. I don't know what your timeline looks like. I feel like your team is not, not necessarily worse off, but I, I just feel like there's not a lot of personnel on the roster to kind of move forward with. So having said that, I love Ben Simmons. I really do like him as a player. I just don't think there's any chance that Philly or Charlotte does this trade. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it would kind of depend on what the, the picks would look like, right? That's sort of right. obvious. And be, I'd, be, I'd be interested to see how Charlotte would maybe try to put protections on some of those potential first-round picks or whatever, because that would be um, that would be important. Those are the building blocks that you would, in theory, be using to construct a roster around Simmons. And I look, I, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, like, like I buy into those guys being starters or rotation players and, and, and good, good, solid, young NBA players. But um, I would absolutely do this trade uh, if I were Charlotte. Um, we talk all the time on this this podcast that we're not sure if, in fact, what we are sure is that Charlotte definitely doesn't have like an all-star, there's no guaranteed future all-star on the roster, right? Like even if PJ gets to some idealized version of himself, you know, he's a star role player or whatever. Um, and he, you know, he makes the, an all-star roster too, like going the Paul Millsap route. I believe in Simmons as a franchise player. He turned 24 yesterday, <laughs> which is crazy. He's super young. Um, and I know he's limited in this one painfully obvious way. Like he can't shoot. He sort of refuses to even shoot outside of the paint and it's crippling for him and the Sixers at times, but He's one of the best five or six defensive players on in the on the planet. Can guard every position. Seventy uh, percent shooting at the rim year after like three straight years being right at seventy percent. Can get downhill. Monster in transition. Great passer. Even if he doesn't develop a shot, like you have an all star, you have an all NBA talent that's not in not yet in the prime of his career. And it would also give you the opportunity to sort of like construct a roster around his skill set, which Philadelphia hasn't been able to do yet because of the presence of, of, uh, of Joel Embiid and, you know, Embiid's the priority there. He's, he's their, he's their best player. Um, so yeah, I, I would do it, you know, again, it would, a lot would depend on what the pick situation will look like because that's how you're going to construct the roster around Simmons and obviously whatever cap space you have and stuff too. But, uh, but no, I would, I think if the Hornets were presented this opportunity, they'd have to think about it seriously because Simmons, despite his limitations is, uh, is quite talented. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, if Philly were uh, even entertaining this idea, I think you'd definitely have to think long and hard about it. I don't really know. I don't really know if I would do this or not, if I'm Charlotte though, because if I'm giving up picks and I'm giving up, arguably no not even arguably probably <laughs> definitely between Devonte and pj my yeah. best two young prospects I, like what's left once i get simmons and 177 million dollars worth of, uh, of money 
you know, it's just like you're kind of you're you're getting the franchise player. You might get a few more butts in the seats, but I mean, I don't think you can argue that you're better on the other side of this this deal. And you just took on a lot of money, and you still got to build out the roster. Um, this is more of like a philosophical question about where Charlotte is right now. It's like how do they build the roster going forward? Do they do they splurge for a guy like Ben Simmons and give up two of like Devontae, PJ, Monk, right? You give up two of those three. Okay. And if it's Devontae and PJ, it's probably the wrong two. And then you're just kind of neutral to where you were, if not even south of that. And so and so what's next? You know, it's just I don't know. It it makes sense to get the good player, but on on the other hand, it's like, well, you just did, you know, you're you're doing this development, and you're you're stockpiling these assets. Now you're going to give them all up for this one player, and then and but now what else do you have? And you gave up some future assets right. and picks. You know what I mean? So so the it, like I wouldn't be upset if the Hornets did it. I'd be like, hey, you got you got an all star caliber player, right? Like that's what small markets need to do. That's how you build rosters. But at the same time. Um, you gave up future assets to do it and your two best young prospects. So what, what's the plan now? So I, I just think like it would be an interesting pivot, I guess, because I'd, I'd be very anxious to hear what's next. It's one of those trades. It's like, okay, cool. But what's, but what now? Cause it, cause it kind of looked like the plan was pretty obvious. We're going to play the long game. And now this seems to go against that grain a little bit. So like I said, I think it's just philosophical how the Hornets really going to do this rebuild. Yeah, I think the roster construction gets a little trickier when you make that trade. I mean, clearly there, there's no one, you know, bashing Simmons in terms of getting him here on the Charlotte roster. But in terms of how you construct your roster around him with no first round picks, maybe in 2021 or whatever it may be, uh, it just kind of throws things for a loop a little bit. But it's, it's an interesting question. It, so. it would come down to what the, the, the picks that you would have going out the window look like, because Again, that's what, those are the building pieces around Simmons. And you guys bring up good points, too. It's like it, Simmons, because of the jump shot and because he's now expensive, is like can, could maybe be a trickier guy to build around. Like, it's just going it, to, it's not like an easy guy. Oh, you just plop four role players around this guy, and, you know, that team's going to win 50 games. Like, I, I don't think he has that, maybe that quite in his, in his uh, abilities. And it's going to really depend on even what those other guys would look like. But, Man, yeah, the talent to just get the, the, the talent of that guy is so for me yeah. so undeniable that I, I again unless the, the a lot would depend on the pick protections or whatever you know those picks were dispersed or whatever but yeah I just think with Simmons I I, I think I'd be t- so too tempted to swing for the fences to not pull the trigger on it so and I think the uh, last thought on this I think and this is more like a it's it's going to be frustrating for Hornets fans probably for the next few years because of this this anomalous situation we're in not knowing where the salary cap's going to be next year like I, I highly doubt the Hornets do very much at all in free agency like I said Jakob Pertle maybe I think you can get him for a pretty reasonable price but like these owners are going to be in a situation to where we don't know where the BRI is going to fall and we don't know how big the escrow account is going to be across the league, which is, which means small market owners like Michael Jordan are not going to, they're going to keep that team payroll as low as possible, especially with a roster that's in the middle of a rebuild. And he knows he's going to, he's not going to likely not going to have any gate revenue next year. He knows he's not going to have playoff revenue next year. Like, you know, it's just like situations like these, I I bring that up to say, Michael Jordan is not going to sign himself up for 30 to pay a guy $38.5 million uh, four seasons from now because, you know, this pandemic has changed everything for, for financially for this league. It's nothing but uncertainty moving forward. And for that, for the Los Angeles Lakers and the New York Knicks and, any, you know, the Chicago Bulls, these teams in the big market, no big deal. It's, it's no problem. But for 70% of the league, this is going to slow down trade talks. It's going to slow down free agency and the league will do everything possible to try to avoid those things. But I just think it's an inevitability, certainly for, for a team like Charlotte. All right. Next question. Well, there's just three questions here from fresh and clean 99. We'll just go one at a time here. Are there any early 2021 draft targets? Uh, we all know that this draft class is just loaded. Uh, and even Brian suggested maybe doing a podcast on them sooner rather than later. Uh, so I'll probably defer to him on some of these these targets. I really haven't watched a ton 
if at, if any of Kate Cunningham or BJ Boston or or Jalen Johnson. But uh, one player that I did stumble upon the other day uh, because he reclassified was uh, Jonathan Kaminga. I think he's going to be signing with the uh, the G League Pathway Program. Uh, he's a six eight forward. Good build and athleticism. Uh, he just makes everything look so effortless and easy uh, on the court. I don't have his three-point shooting numbers in front of me, but when I was watching him, he has NBA range on his shot. He can even pass the ball a little bit. Uh, his handle needs a little bit of tightening if he wants to play with the ball a little bit more and initiate the offense. Uh, but he's got tons of physical tools, and I know there's a lot of players in this draft class, so I don't really have one uh, specific target, uh, and obviously it's going to depend on where the Hornets are drafting next year. But Brian, I know that you're kind of keyed in on on draft targets for next season. But uh, any one or two players that you kind of have your eye on? Yeah, I would. I would. The the, the clear tier one is Kate Cunningham. Um, going to be at Oklahoma State this season. Measured officially down there um, at six eight, two hundred and twenty pounds. So he's a huge guard. Uh, Brandon Roy style game, pick and roll passer good finisher at the rim going to eventually develop uh, some pull-up shooting as well yeah he's the guy he's a a real real special prospect Um, you know if he were available for the 2020 draft I would suggest the team that drafts number one to look at him Um, he's just like as far as guys that are going to be drafted in the next year or two he's he's the top guy um, tier two, Jonathan Kaminga, who you mentioned last week, he reclassified from the 2021 class to 2020 and ended up picking the G league path over Texas tech and Auburn, especially. Um, but Duke and Kentucky were in the mix as well, which is sort of why I'd kept up with Kaminga for the last year or so, uh, the, the Duke connection, um, BJ Boston from Sierra Canyon Canyon, which has produced some really, really good, uh, uh prospects and players the last couple of years, six, six guards, skinny going to Kentucky. Uh, but there's some serious dribble pull up game as well to BJ Boston, Jalen green, who will be in the, uh, the G league pro pro path with Jonathan Kaminga. Both those guys signed the two sort of biggest contracts, uh, among that pool. I'll uh, be curious to see how his decision-making continues to develop. Um, other couple other names to run through Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, good two way athlete, two way performer, Jalen Johnson at Duke, Big, uh, 6'9", 225 pound forward, point forward, serious guard skills, shot needs to get better, but he's he's talented. Caleb Love, 6'3", point guard going to UNC, you know, just one of those guys that could potentially project as like, a, you know, a serious pick and roll, off dribble, shooter and score, and, and a guy that sort of scales well to where the NBA offenses are going. Let's see how he does inside UNC's offense this season. Um you know, Cole Anthony really struggled with some of the lack of secondary shooting and spacing at UNC this year. And, and I mean, UNC's talent level is going to be better next season, but I think the Tar Heels could again have sort of similar imbalances in terms of what the, what the half court offense and secondary offenses look like. And then uh, Evan Mobley, big guy going to USC, Moses Moody wing going to Arkansas and Scotty Barnes point forward going to uh, Florida state. Now they're like six, nine, 230 pound, you know, four that's going to be playing on the ball a lot in the ACC this year. So those are the, those are some of the, the names I expect, um, at least amongst guys from that played high school basketball uh, in America here. Um, several of them on that stacked Montverde team, including Kate, Kate Cunningham, uh, Moses Moody, and Scotty Barnes, who are all high school teammates this season. So those are those are the names. Some of the names I would I would try to keep an eye on early for twenty twenty one. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I haven't watched any. I, I couldn't yeah. tell you anything about any of these guys, so I, I'm going to go what Brian said. My scouting yeah. will start when they get to college. All right, so the second question from the same user, potential Cody Zeller trades, and I know we mentioned this on the last podcast, that we probably need to do an episode and uh, just potential trades or hypothetical trades and maybe center them around Cody Zeller. I actually haven't sat down on the trade machine yet to actually kind of figure out a potential trade here. Uh, I, like I said, I know we may have to do an episode dedicated strictly to this, but I think the Hornets obviously are going to be on the lookout for teams that want to clear space for 2021 and or teams that need a center rotational depth there. Uh, so maybe maybe a team like the Clippers would be an option. Uh, I just haven't sat down to kind of look at their roster or their, their their monies moving forward. So Spencer, have you do you have any potential you know trade ideas yet or just haven't really looked at the trade machine? 
Yeah, no, I, this is a good question. So I did a little research on this uh, shortly before the pod. So I, I circled three teams. I just actually clicked on a fourth here as you were talking, Richie. The Clippers were one of them. Uh, I think okay. it's interesting. We'll see what they do with Harrell, right? Like, um, right, right. You know, he's, I, I think they're going to work to get him back. Uh, certainly have the advantage with his bird rights. So we'll see what happens there. I think Indiana is interesting from this sense. <clears throat> what if this is the summer? that they decide, all right, we need to part ways with either Turner or Sabonis. Sabonis is playing so freaking good all year. I, I kind of tend to like him a little bit more as a player. Um, I know he's not maybe a true center uh, in a lot of ways like Miles Turner is, um, but I like him more. So what have they said, uh, you know, Cody Zeller for Miles Turner, but we need something else, right? Would the Hornets be willing to part ways with whatever that something else is to get a player like Miles Turner in the, in the pipeline. He certainly age wise fits uh, what their trajectory is right now. The other team I have is, uh, is Boston. You know, I think that there's uh, plenty of evidence and data suggesting that Kimball Walker and Cody Zeller are a nice fit next to each other. Um, you know, Ennis Cantor is, you know, they, they've got a few decisions Ennis Cantor has a player option for about 5 million. And then what are they going to do with Daniel Tice? Uh, you know that that's the other one. They got a uh, he's got a non guarantee or not fully guaranteed for next year. Do they want to extend him? I think that's interesting. They need help with that position, so I think they could look at it. Uh, and then Portland's the other team. Hassan Whiteside is is coming off. They got Nurkic coming back, so it's doubtful that they would say let's take on another center for fifty million dollars. You know, but it is an expiring deal, so I think Portland's the other team I kind of circled to to watch, but. I think the Hornets, what I would say about this Cody Zeller situation is they should try to trade him this summer around, or not this summer, uh, when the draft comes in October because centers, I mean, what we've learned in the in the very recent future, and Hollinger brought this up on on his pod with, with Nate Duncan the other day, is there, there's just not a market for centers at the at the trade deadline. And um, it's something I really hadn't thought about, and I went, went back and did some research, and there's not. I mean, they just don't really get moved. Like the Drummond trade was was different. Like what he got traded for was just such a joke that the intent behind that trade was so clear, right? Like it's not like a team's like begging to get a center on the market in these past few trade deadlines. So I think if the Hornets, if Cody Zeller goes into the season, next season, the 2021 season on the Hornets roster, it's unlikely he gets moved. So they should try to move him around the draft. Cody Zeller buyout candidate uh, season. Get ready for it. Uh, and I just, and I'm just, yeah. And I mean, if you're a Horns fan, you should just be so sick of that because you just have yeah. no leverage and you just yeah. get squeezed. And that was my frustration at the last, uh, you know, at the last trade, that trade deadline with the Horns. I know they didn't have any leverage, but it's just like, God almighty. I mean, like these guys aren't chump change. Like, you know, Marvin Williams could be, he could be important for the Bucks championship run in Orlando. 100% agree on Marvin. Um, he's one of those guys where I'm like, I, I just, it, it felt like there should have been some sort of actual trade market for him. He's a, a, a four and a half that can shoot threes and post switches. He's like the perfect fit for one of the two or three best teams in the world. Like if that's the case, then uh, yeah, it's, it's surprising that everything was so it's not surprising. It's just disappointing that everything was so tepid uh, when it came to Marvin, maybe less so for MKG, but even he got snapped up by the Mavs immediately. Some stuff that I looked at with Zeller, a couple scenarios, maybe Houston is a team worth watching. Um, you know, I imagine they'll try to run it back with Harden and, and Westbrook again next season, but how committed are they? To, are they going to play 82 games of no center on the roster right now, which is where they're at. Like even the, they waived uh, Hardenstein uh, a couple weeks ago. Who's the, who's the, is Eric Gordon like the one player on that team that has like a lengthy contract yeah, in terms so of the money? He's actually, yeah, that's, that's the swap. That would be the magic yeah. salary. Exactly. So that's where I was going with this. The salaries match perfectly. So Zeller to Houston, Eric Gordon to Charlotte, and then you find out whatever the sweetener is that, that Houston yeah. is still attached to Gordon to get, cause he's, he has, I think four years, I think he signed through 2023 and he's not cheap. Um, so to Spencer's point a couple minutes ago about MJ, maybe not wanting to bring in, uh, you know, an expensive player, even of Ben Simmons's caliber and trajectory, 
Um, yeah, Gordon's not as expensive, but um, he, he ain't cheap either, and he's not the player you know that that Simmons is, and he's certainly on on the decline of his career too. But yeah, you know, I think Zeller's like an okay, not great fit in Houston. You know, he can't space out, so you know, how does the fit work with Westbrook? Um, and he's not like a lob bot like Capella or some of these other fives that we've seen. You know, Zeller's a good pick and roll player. Um, and I think he and Harden, there's certainly some damage those guys could do together. But, you know, he needs a little bit of a runway and a guy that needs to catch it in space and put on the court a couple times. So maybe versus the, the traps with Harden or whatever, he can be a bit of a, a release valve in space. And so there's maybe something there. But I think that's a possibility. Um, one of the other ones that I kicked around too was with, uh, with Philadelphia, actually. Cody Zeller and Terry Rozier to Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia sends Al Horford and one of their young guys plus a pick maybe. You know, I don't know if you could get Matisse Thibel. In fact, I'm like 99.9% sure you couldn't get Thibel, but, you know, Zaire Smith or one of their other young guys. Philly has its 2020 first round going to Brooklyn, but they have Oklahoma City's number first round pick this year. Uh, and then they own the rest of their first round picks from, from here out. Um, yeah, you got Horford signed to a monstrosity of a deal through 2023. I just don't think what they're going into the bubble with him coming off the bench, Shake Milton, who we love on this podcast, but him starting a point guard, like that's just not a solution. And I feel like this team is sort of on the clock in terms of like the Simmons and Embiid timeline and, and making that stuff work. They're out of cap space. Like the reason why they signed Horford was because he was basically the biggest and best free agent they could get last season before Simmons's extension kicked in. So they went out and just spent cap space because they, they had it, but now this is the roster now. I mean, you got Tobias Harris on a monster of a contract. You got Joel Embiid, monster of a contract. Uh, Simmons, big contract that'll start up next season. Uh, this Horford deal's bad, but that last year's only partially guaranteed. Um, it goes up if the, the Sixers like make the finals or um, win a finals or whatever. Yeah, Rozier gives them a little. I mean, he's not like a great on-ball player, but you know, you give him a little bit of secondary creation next to Simmons. He can shoot and spot up around Embiid and Zeller. Then provides your backup center for uh, for for Embiid. You know, you wouldn't play those two guys together. But uh, anyway, so I don't think I don't think that's a scenario that actually uh, will present itself. But it's something that I you know it's maybe worth kind of kicking the can on, and then. Uh, the last one uh, was Dallas. Mavs are probably good at the five with Porzingis, Maxi Kleba. You know, they're both kind of fours and fives. They can both play inside. I like Maxi. What? Said I like Maxi Kleba. Yeah, Ma- dude, Maxi Kleba's awesome. He's a total badass. He's one of the, the best rotation bigs um, in the NBA. He's just, dude, is rock solid and can do everything offensively and is a very good team defender too. They also have Powell who's injured, but who should be healthy and he's a good fit next to Luca. We'll have to see what they do with Tim Hardaway. Just finished up a career year. He's an unrestricted free agent as well too. But why well, thought Seth Curry and DeLon Wright both signed to pretty good contracts, pretty tradable deals. Uh, those two guys coming to Charlotte, it lets, it lets Dallas get off a little bit of long-term money. Uh, Wright and Curry aren't necessarily young or whatever. Wright's a little older than you maybe think he is, but those guys coming in exchange for Zeller, and maybe the, you know that has to be sweetened one way or the other as well too. But Charlotte gets some guards. They get a shooter in Curry. They get the hometown angle. Um, Dallas gets another center that can help out their defense. And even though he's not like a real lob threat, would partner well with, uh, with Luka too. So – I don't necessarily think any of these are, are likely to happen. I kind of wish there was a better deal with Golden State because I feel like they could use Zeller, but it's just the, the it's hard to think of salaries that are that are going to work unless it, Wiggins is involved. In which case, um, no thanks. Yeah, thank so, you. yeah. So, uh, anyways, those are some of the ideas that I had. I had sort of floating around. Well, one quick thing on Boston here is it. It, that one makes a lot of sense in my mind, but the problem with Boston is that they only have one salary um, that they could throw in that deal that would match it, and that's Marcus Smart. And uh, I just don't see them parting ways with an arguable defensive player of the year kind of guy. And then, and then real quick on Portland too, like, and I've I, I've circled this <laughs> before, but you know I think every team in the league should be circling Portland and wondering, okay. <clears throat> what about CJ McCollum, right? Like that, that deal gets expensive, but for a team like Charlotte, 
uh, it could potentially make some sense in, in the right kind of trade. And, and I'm thinking like a Rosier, Zeller, you know, slice down that money, that big money that you owe into 22, 23, 23, 24, when Damian Lillard's making north of $50 million, you know, you know, increase some flexibility for them. So I don't know what else would have to go into that deal. But anyways, just two quick thoughts. All right, last question from Fresh and Clean 99. He says, what are some of our favorite second round draft targets? So we've talked about these two players and we actually had one of them on our, our podcast, Grant Riller and Desmond Bain. I think those are the two wings combo guards that I'm really enjoying and would really like uh, in the second round. Both really good on and off ball shooters, especially Bain. Uh, and actually, Bain is pretty underrated on the defensive side of the ball. I just found this out, but he only allowed 0.54 points per possession on one-on-ones, which is uh, 88th percentile. Now, if we go big in the second round, I know that Brian mentioned Tillman, but he might be going back. What about Daniel Aturo from Minnesota? Have you guys looked into him at all? He's a little bit... Uh, some of his mobility and quickness concerns are are, are clearly present. Uh, he's more of a bruiser, rebounder, rim protector guy. I just don't know how much, you know, side to side quickness he's going to have on on the next level. He did show some ability to stretch the floor, but uh, he's mainly a back to the basket kind of guy. So, those are my two guys, Riller and and Bain. Uh, I don't really know as far as a big goes. Uh, I'm not crazy about uh, a Toro, and I think there are better options to look for in terms of, of bigs early in the second round. Uh, yeah, Desmond Bain, he's awesome. If he somehow fell to 32, like you just you think you're lucky stars. Same with Grant Riller. Riller, I mean, the, the first step is amazing. The on-ball and off-ball uh, weapon that he is offensively, the force he is scoring at the rim um, during his career calls the Charleston shot 70% at the rim with uh, – over 83% of those makes coming unassisted. And Desmond Bain, uh, spot up no dribble jumpers for his career, 1.32 points per possession, arguably the best shooter in the draft. Uh, other bigs, uh, Killian Tilly, uh, who, a guy that we've talked about, a great pick and pop player, a um, little bit of rim protection, can really pass and score too. It's just such a nice offensive weapon. Um, health is obviously the biggest, the biggest concern with him. Uh, I mentioned Jalen Smith, stretch big for Maryland, 8% block rate this season, 37% shooting on threes. You know, he's that sort of archetypal four and four, four or five that can protect the rim a little bit and shoot threes. Um, I can't really find a position for this guy offensively, but Tyler Bay, the forward from Colorado, who I've watched several of his games recently, elite help defender. Um, up there with Vassell, great footwork, fluid hips, amazing stocks numbers, just hard to find out his offensive role. Um, Malachi Flynn, point guard from San Diego State, one of the best pick and roll guards in the country. I feel like Philadelphia should be all over this dude. He's sort of perfect for them. Really, any team that's like looking for shooting and playmaking late in the first round should be looking at Malachi Flynn, Isaiah Joe out of Arkansas, and Desmond Bain. I think the hope is just one of those guys potentially falls to you. And again, if Tillman actually does decide to enter the draft, then yeah, he's Tillman and Bain are the two where you're in, in Riller are like the three that they somehow fell to 32. You just thank your stars because I think those guys are rotation pieces. Yeah, to totally agree on Riller and, and Desmond Bain. I mean, I, I love those guys as players. They're also, they're both, you want to find out what Malik Monk's really made of, uh, put those guys right behind him on a roster and, and see how much they push him because I, I would expect that both of them uh, uh, push what his role is for the Hornets right now. You know, Paul Reed, Brian brought him up earlier. He's all over draft boards. I mean, I've seen mock drafts where he's in the lottery, which I don't think is crazy. Um, and, and I've seen him in the second round. So if he somehow got to 32, I think you're getting a, a jackknife, you know, so, you know, Swiss army knife, rather, uh, kind of, kind of front court player that, that could end up being the best defensive player in this draft. Xavier Tillman, Brian's brought him up a lot. I mean, I think there's something like there. I like with Toro a little bit more than you guys do, but he's a drop center. He's certainly limited side to side. He, he's more your traditional, you know, hang around the basket offensively, rim protector defensively. Um, I mean, you guys have brought up the rest of the names. Devon Dotson's the other second round name where I wonder about him uh, ceiling wise and what if he can stick in the NBA because his because of his shooting. 
you know, if he can do the Devonte uh, Graham pull a rabbit out of a hat act, then he's going to be a starting point guard in the NBA because that guy gets to the freaking rim and he goes by anybody that's in front of him and he creates for his teammates. But um, but if he can't learn to shoot, then he just might not stick. So that would be the other name I'd throw out there. There are uh, three three wings too. We've talked about one of these guys a lot on one episode several months ago now. But uh, look, I think there's a non-zero chance Sadiq Bay could fall to 32. It sort of depends on some of how some of these other wings move and move and shake around him. But uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, Sadiq Bay at 32 would be great forward that can play a couple positions, good team defender, uh, a great spot up shooter. Um, you know, maybe not the quickest stroke in the world, but can definitely bomb it from deep. Um, so, so athlete, but can pass some as well. Uh, Nate Hinton from Houston, two guard, good spot up player, bit of a line drive shot, pretty flat, but it's got some pull up game and just like no one plays harder than, than Nate Hinton. And I just think like he and Cody Martin would be a, a fun defensive pairing. They could really terrorize some opposing backcourts. And the last guy I'll throw out, um, and this guy may end up going back to school too, but uh, Aaron Henry from Michigan State, another wing, awesome defender, awesome team defender, phenomenal uh, ball screen, pick and roll defender, you know, rear view pursuit, just fights over screens or just doesn't get screened a lot of times. Awesome. Good spot of player, good athlete, can finish with either hand too, really good finishing with his right hand as well too. So when I was doing like Tillman scouting, um, I really liked Aaron Henry as well. And then the last guy, Cassius, Cassius Winston, another Michigan State guard that I think is in the conversation with guys like Bain and, and Smith and uh, Isaiah Joe for the, the best shooter in the draft. A great movement shooter, shooting off pin downs, can get into the lane, just you know, limited size and certainly not a great defender too. But those would be some other names I'd keep an eye on. Last one real quick. Did, did I miss it? Did somebody say Killian Tilly? I might have missed it. Yeah, yeah. Brian did in passing. Yeah, I mean, for a team that needs a center man and a pipe runner, I mean, best, maybe the best offensive uh, center in this draft in, in terms of, like, pick and pop kind of player. Totally. Elite pick and pop numbers. We talked about Tilly extensively on a, on a pod a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that would be playing in an NBA rotation right now, you know, if his body hadn't sort of, like, given out on him at, at times in his career. Um, and you yeah. do wonder – with not having the workouts too, you would want teams to see him in action. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, mean I know that. Yeah. yeah. And just get medicals and on him yeah. and stuff too. You know, I'm, he's sort of an interesting case study for that this year. Um, but yeah, Tilly would be, Tilly would be a, a phenomenal kid. It, look, some of these guys are definitely going to be available. 32 is maybe a little too early for guys like him and Henry, but not like not a crazy stretch. And some of these guys are just going to be there. You have to just like hope and pray. It's Desmond Bain. <laughs> well, and, and last thing on that, I mean, the Hornets are going to have, it, it looks like we'll see what happens in Orlando, but it looks like the Hornets are going to have this 50, Six pick um, from Boston. I mean, I think it's top. I can't remember exactly. Is he's either 53, 54, 55. It's like 31 to 50. Yeah, 31 to 53. If it falls within that, Hornets don't get it. If it falls without that, which with Boston's, they, they got a sizable little lead. They're in the middle of the Eastern Conference right now. So it's hard to imagine in eight games that they're going to fall that far. So, you know, there's going to be players that had at 56 too. All right, these last two questions both deal with Miles Bridges. One of them is lengthier than the other. I do want to read some of it just because uh, he spent time to type this out. But the uh, the first question comes from Lime Lashed. What do you think Bridges needs to focus most on improving this offseason? And do you reckon he's likely to achieve it? And then I'm going to read most of this here. It deals with Miles Bridges from your one to talk. Uh, I cannot believe I've gotten to this place in my soul, but I want to say I believe the abilities of Cody Martin and what he's shown in the court more than that of Miles Bridges. Now, I know that that might sound crazy to a lot of Hornets fans, but I watch every Hornet game and I just felt during the season that Cody showed a lot more promise in ways that Miles just didn't show. I noticed that JB even started using Martin in the closing minutes of games and I found myself more entertained by those numbers than the minutes Miles showed us. Now, obviously, Bridges is by far the better shooter of the two from behind the arc, and I was happily surprised at how he shot from the corner. Cody's shooting is bad and in desperate need of some help, but in other ways, he has helped, I think, improve the team's passing, playmaking, and from that forward and guard role. I'd love to hear your impressions about him moving forward. Thanks, and keep up the good work, uh, guys. So so we're going to talk about Miles Bridges and what he needs to improve on the most, and then maybe do you have the same sentiments as this other guy where you feel better about the abilities and the promise that Cody Martin has shown 
over Miles Bridges. So Brian had to get off the call here, but Spencer, we're going to finish this up. Uh, we talked about this on the last report card episode, but Miles definitely underwhelmed this season uh, and didn't really make that step that you thought he would uh, in a variety of aspects on the court. He still has a ways to go on the defensive side of the ball, especially when he's you know either on the back line or he's on the weak side. Uh, he tends to lose his man way too often. Uh, and offensively, he's just nothing really more than an athletic guy that can dunk and uh, is a spot-up shooter. But uh, Borrego did get creative uh, late in the season, uh, middle of the season, trying to put him in some spots like quick post-ups and stuff like that. I think the one thing that could be a swing skill for Miles Bridges, and I, and I hope he is working on on this over the summer, is just his ability to play with the ball in his hands, to create offense. Uh, Pull-up shooting, he was really poor, 29%. Uh, he had 55 live ball turnovers, which seems like a lot for a player uh, that really wasn't a focal point of the offense. Uh, he just has to get those off the dribble skills cleaned up. But as far as, you know, do I have confidence and he will actually achieve this uh, in years to come, my confidence is waning uh, in terms of, you know, how he's going to turn out as a player. I don't know if I would go as far to say as those other guys. Like, I just believe in Cody Martin, you know, 100 times more than Miles Bridges. But, uh, you know, Miles Bridges has a lot of upside, but he's clearly not making the proper step. So what, what are your thoughts on, on Miles Bridges here, Spencer? And what's the one thing that you think he needs to work on moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a good question. I, there's a few things. I think defensively, he certainly, we've talked about this, you know, like over a million times on this podcast, right? Like he, he's got to create better mechanics defensively. He's got to learn to stay in front of the basketball. Um, he's got to be in better help position. He, he can't lose his man on the backside cutting baseline, you know, or something like that, as you brought up, Richie. Like his his defensive awareness uh, is very poor um, on a pretty consistent level. And the, the advanced analytics defensively looked about as bad as they can for a wing um, th this season. So that's also worrisome. I would say that, and then I would also say getting to the rim more often for him. You know, just I think like something around 30% uh, of his shot attempts came between that like three to 10 feet area last season. Um, and he wasn't like one of the worst in the league from that area. Like he does have this weird little like push floater that looks super ugly when it comes off his hands, but it goes in way more often than you would think it would. So it's not like he's one of the worst players in the league from that area, but with his athleticism and his body and his build, <clears throat> you know, and his, his power, theoretically, you don't see it a lot on the floor, but he should be able to use that to get to the rim more often. And, uh, and not only is that going to help him at the rim, uh, finishing at the rim is going to get him the foul line more often, which he also needs to do, you know, a pretty poor free throw rate so far in the NBA. So, you know, that's what I would pinpoint with miles in terms of, you know, Cody Martin being, um, more useful, to Charlotte, uh, then Miles, I think like in a vacuum, probably we would still say that's untrue, but I totally get what James Borrego was doing in crunch time. He was putting a reliable defensive weapon um, on the floor uh, that he knew might be overmatched, uh, might not have the size advantage, certainly doesn't have the experience advantage, but is going to play hard, is not going to miss very many assignments. Um, and, and it's just, he's going to do all the little things. He's going to make the winning plays, or at least he's going to try to. And that's just, you know, that any coach would probably make that decision unless you have a mandate to play Miles Bridges, you know, for 40, 40 minutes a night. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that Cody has eventually maybe a better chance than Miles to be a more in, in, impactful player for this team. But Miles got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of ability. If he learns to play basketball on both ends of the floor, I mean, I'm saying that in very layman terms because I think it can be that simple sometimes. He's got to learn to play the game. He doesn't understand the game on level to this to this uh, to the person that asked this question's point to the level that Cody Martin does. Cody Martin knows how to play basketball. Miles Bridges doesn't know how to play basketball yet. If if Miles Bridges gets to that point, he's going to be a really good starter in the NBA. And a guy that maybe gets to the point where he's making twenty plus million dollars a year. That's how much ability he has. But yeah. the mental aspect of it just hasn't come online yet. Basically what you're saying is if he can put it all together and learn how to play the game, his physical tools far outshine Cody Martin's and he's just gonna be, you know, a better player. But uh you know no that, that's question. half the yeah. battle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No question. 
All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat, and we will check you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.